This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Sunday Twilight Show with Maud. It is 5 p.m. on Sunday, the 12th of February, 2023. You can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is striking in education. Welcome! This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out, with Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, good late afternoon, I should say, and probably good evening to my fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 30th radio show as your hostess, and I'm still very much delighted to share this experience in your company. But first, I have to introduce myself for any new potential listener. I am Maud, a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have lived in the United Kingdom since 2008, and I am a professional educator. I work in a secondary state school in North London, where I teach both languages as well as humanities. I teach French up to KS5. I teach Spanish, history and geography up to KS3. I also have experience as a teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on Twitter at ProfProfMFL. All views are my own. Today I would like to focus on one topic that is relevant to me as an educator and also in my daily working life. The podcast and discussion will be on the topic of striking in education. So this is a very contemporary topic because we just had a strike, a national teacher strike on the 1st of February 2023. So today's topic is mostly relevant to anyone who is a teacher or an educator in the United Kingdom, parents of children who are educated in the United Kingdom in the state school system, the curious and savvy, And finally, anyone who believes that education is a political endeavor. We always start with a little bit of etymology. It is very important to understand where the words we use come from and what's their story. So the definition of the word strike, to strike, it's an intransitive verb. And it means refusing to work because of an argument over pay or working conditions. Now, there's other meanings to the verb to strike. I find that some are almost poetic in their meaning. There's the idea of hitting when it's a transitive verb, the idea of an attack, or also the idea of a concept that happens suddenly. So something quite brutal, something that is an attack and something that happens suddenly in other meanings of the word 
the verb to strike. Now, because as you know, I am a um, trilingual person and I do work in languages, I'm always interested in seeing what the words mean in other languages. So in my mother tongue, we use the word la grève. Uh, la grève is a very famous occupation in France, as you must know if you're a Francophile or just someone interested in French culture. La grève has two meanings. It's a geological and geographical term, which describes an area near the riverbank where there's a lot of gravel. And then there's the other meaning. There's the meaning that comes from the Latin word grevis, which means conflict or um, something that is related in English to the word to grieve or grief. And um, there's also the Latin classical word gravis, which means heavy. So these two uh, different meanings of the word la grève, of obviously most people when they use la grève nowadays, they mean the striking occupation and not the landscape. Now, if we look back, because allowing ourselves to look back makes us understand our present better and it gives us the tools we need, empowers us, to change our future. So let's look back on the history of strikes. If you ask people, when did the first strike happen? And I did that just yesterday. Um, the first answer was, oh, probably in France. Well, that would be a mistake. No, the first strike didn't happen in France. It happened in a much more exotic place. And it's a very, very old event. So, if you want to know when the first recorded strike happened, you need to know a bit more about ancient Egypt. Yes, it's as old as that. Now, it happened around 2558 before Christ, so more than 4,000 years ago. And this was a workers' revolt, a workers' protest, when they built one of the most famous pyramids, so the Pyramid of Cheops. And the reason why the workers decided to stop working is probably sounding very trivial right now, but as a French person, I completely understand where they were coming from. Apparently, according to our primary source, which is Herodotus's writing, Sadly, he wasn't a witness. He was writing many, many, many hundred years later. But according to Herodotus, the workers who were building the Pyramid of Cheops stopped working because there was no more garlic in their food rations. So obviously, being French, I understand. You can't have a proper meal if there isn't a touch of garlic in it. So this is a first recorded strike. Now, there was another strike, also by other pyramid workers, and this one happened many thousands of years later. So around um, 1,155 before Jesus Christ, during the time of Ramses III, there was an issue with pay. So apparently there was a lot of corruption, so the money allocated to pyramid workers didn't arrive to, to pay their wages, wages. And they got upset and they were really patient, I have to say, because they waited a year or two before they started protesting. And when they started protesting, they were given 
food, but not enough. So they attacked the place, the warehouse where the grains were stored. And this was recorded by the architect who was in charge of building the pyramid at Deir el Medine. So obviously they had a good reason to strike and it's happened in the Valley of Kings. So why would we look back on this strike? Um, the first one recorded, so 2,500 before Jesus Christ. Well, Cheops wanted, as a pharaoh, to have a resting place for his body in order to access the afterlife. So he had a pyramid built. The base of the pyramid was a square and it was supposed to uh, shelter his body. So he had workers build his pyramid. Now, to build a pyramid, you need to realize that you need 2.3 million block of stone. 2.3 million. That's a lot of stones. And um, the pyramid actually has been, uh, we, we calculated that the weight of the pyramid must have been 5 million of tons. So each block of stone weighs 2.5 tons. The pyramid is as high as 150 meters. So this was not a little building site. This was a massive scale. And obviously, to achieve building a pyramid, you needed many, many workers. Now, Herodotus, our main source for uh, ancient Egypt knowledge, was sometimes making mistakes. He argued that the workers were slaves. Well, it wouldn't have been possible. You can't control 10,000 workers armed with uh, axes or uh, carving tools for carving stones and force them into labor. This would not be possible. So obviously, there were workers. I'm not saying there might not have been slaves. There might have been. But we believe that Herodotus got it wrong and the builders of pyramids were not slaves. They were workers. Now, it took usually 20 years, uh, according to the, uh, and the, the writer Manethon, to build the pyramid. And the workers was, were, as I said, 10,000 workers, but they would be uh, working 10 hours a day and they would be working by shift of 2,000 workers. They were considered well, they were called the Friends of Cheops, um, in the writing we saw inside the pyramid. So they were considered well. And if some sadly died on site while working and building the pyramids, they would be buried in tombs not too far from their workplace. Um, and obviously they were respected enough to be buried. It is assumed that a slave would not have had a tomb and they would have been thrown uh, without proper burial. So they were workers and they were paid. Now, we are still finding new papyruses uh, where there is um, a diary of the period. We found one, the Journal of Merer, and this uh, writing dates from 2560 before Christ. This was found in 2013 by a French uh, group under the direction of Pierre Taillet. Um, and uh, they found the writing near the Red Sea in a, a fort, near a fort called Tel Rasputran. So in this writing, there is a mention of slaves being paid, being paid respect, and if they were dead, 
they would be buried on site. So an honor, because you remember this was a very important religious and spiritual place to be buried. Um, the writing mentions that the people were well fed. And this seems to corroborate the analysis done on the bones of the workers who were found buried, because even though they suffered from arthritis, because they were hard laborer and they carried very heavy charges, they still were fed meat and they ate bread and they also drank beer. So they had quite a nice diet. Um, they were not just slaves. So that was all for the first recorded strikes. Those strikes were due to not working conditions, but back pay. The workers in the second event under Ramses III were not paid on time. In the first occasion, it was a lack of appropriate food ration. Now, if we look back at later strikes, the first one that was recorded as a strike, really, in France, happened in the Middle Ages. It happened in Paris and it involved university students. So, not so different from modern uh, strikes, let's, let's just say this. So, students were in Paris and they studied theology. They were at the Sorbonne in the 12th century. Now, the Sorbonne was, belonged to the church, the Catholic church, and the students were also wearing robes, had their heads, the top of their heads shaved in tonsure, and they were under the protection of the church. The students were sometimes very young because you would go to university from 13 to 14 years old, and you would stay 6 to 12 years. We can see that the definition of childhood has changed over the centuries, and now um, a university student has to be above 18 years old. But at the time, you could be a university student, age 13. They were studying mostly uh, religion and theology, and although they all had different mother tongues, because they came from many, many different regions, they spoke Latin, which was the lingua franca at the time. Now, what happened? Uh, it was March um, 1229, and it was Shrove Tuesday. Again, this sounds very French indeed. Um, we had students who were celebrating Pancake Day, and they had attended a Lenten carnival, a pre-Lenten carnival. So they had pancakes, I assume, or uh, what we call beignet, which is a type of donut. They were wearing masks and celebrating. Obviously, because they are university students, they do what university students often do, and they drink too much alcohol. So they were becoming a bit rowdy, and they started arguing with an innkeeper or a tavern keeper. Now, they argued about the bill and it led to a physical fight. Once more, anyone who's familiar with uh, stories of Oxford University protests will find that this is not just an English thing, it's definitely something that happens a lot. Now, the problem is the students entered the fight and some were beaten up and thrown out into the streets. They complained, and on Ash Wednesday, they returned in large numbers, organized and armed with wooden clubs. So imagine you're the innkeeper, 
you had a bit of a row the, the day before, and suddenly you see hundreds of students outside your door, armed and ready to confront you. So the inn was shut because it was a, a holiday, a bank holiday, and yet they broke into it. They beat the taverner and destroyed his livelihood, his establishment. Because they were young and um, quite upset, they also damaged and rioted. So it spilled out into the streets. Now, the issue started because there were students and they belonged to the church and they were clergy people. So they could not be prosecuted at the king's courts. So people complained and went to church to complain. And obviously the university wanted to protect its students and they were trying to keep the matter closed. But some people appealed to the queen, Blanche of Castile, regent of France, because her son Louis IX was too young. So she stepped in and she demanded the church to sort the students out. So the church eventually accepted to let some students be punished. And the city guards under the royal protection went into the university, gathered a group of students, which some argue were not involved in the riot in the first place, and beat them up so badly that some died. Once more, if you're familiar with street protests and uh, police keeping, you might not be surprised that some students ended up being killed by the police of the time that is the king's guard so what started as a little fight in a inn or pub ended up in a street protest the authorities got involved there was issues between the university the clergy and the queen and the king's guard and some young people died as a result so it's a shrove tuesday pancake day gone bad now Obviously, the people who worked at university didn't enjoy having the, some of their students beaten up to death. So they reacted by stopping their work, withdrawing their work. And it lasted for up to two years. That's a very long time to protest. In the end, some of them left the university and went to study and teach somewhere else. So. Someone's loss became someone's gain because some of these teachers and university students moved to Toulouse or Bordeaux, and some even, apparently, went and settled in Oxford. So this famous strike, La Grève of 1229, led to spreading more students and more teachers and more lecturers all over Europe for their benefits. But it's the first recorded strike in France's history. So you can see striking is not new. Striking is an ancient practice and striking often happens around um, work issues, but also police brutality, you could argue. Now, what is going on nowadays? Because we've had a look at history, we can go back to our normal times. Now, the reasons for striking in general depend on who is striking. If you happen to work in uh, mining, electrics or gas, usually the reason why you organize a strike is for penability of work, so hard working conditions. 
duration and patterns of hours worked. If you work in manufacturing, it's usually working condition and wages. If you work in healthcare, it's usually duration of work and patterns of hours worked. If you work in public administration and defense, it's usually working conditions and issues regarding supervision. If you happen to work in an industry that is related to transport, storage, information and communication, it can be about manpower and wage rates and earnings. And finally, if you work in education, it can be redundancy questions, wage rates and earnings. For other industries, usually strikes happen when there's a dispute about wage or working hours or pension, if you happen to be mostly from France. Now, official statistics and numbers concerning strikes in the UK were not collected until 1891. So our data is approximately more than 100 years, but not, not more than that. Striking is definitely something that became more popular and more spread in the world after the Industrial Revolution. So let's say the Industrial Revolution started around 1790 in England. And then it was the 19th century with the industrialization of society and the 1830s when striking and rioting and protesting in the streets became quite a well-known occurrence. Now, in closer time periods, we had major events that happened, for instance, in the national strikes that lasted for nine days in 1926. In the 1970s, there was a lot of striking due to energy costs and energy shortages with the petrol crisis. In the 1980s, in the UK, there was a lot of strikes concerning the miners' strikes and under Margaret Thatcher as a prime minister. And then this year, 2022-2023, strikes have resumed in many different industries again. Now, because we want to know exactly what we're talking about, let's talk. We said that striking means uh, withdrawing your labor and arguing for better working conditions of better pay. Now, in the, the European Union, there is the European Convention on Human Rights, which is a charter that describes the rights of every European citizen. If you look at Article 11, it says that in the European Union, Every European citizen has the right to freedom of peaceful assembly and to freedom of association with others. This includes the right to form and to join trade unions for the protection of their working interests. This right can be restricted by law, but only on very precise conditions so far as necessary in a democratic society. For instance, for the protection of security and public safety or for the prevention of crime. And violent protest is never protected by the European Convention on Human Rights. So far, so good. 
as EU citizens, if you live in the EU, you have the right to strike. How is it in England? Well, in England, you do not have the right to strike. Not technically. The United Kingdom is not part of the European Union anymore, and um, all the rights of strikers depend on one act, and this is the Trade Union and Labour Relations Consolidation Act. This act dates from 1992. In this act, it determines how a strike can be organised, and in very thorough details. So, the 1992 Act applies across England, Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland. The Act intends to define and govern the role of trade unions, including collective bargaining, which means the negotiation of conditions of employment by a group of employees with their employers. And it also details how to do industrial action. So the Trade Union and Labour Relations 1992 Act outlines the rights of trade union members and their duties. And it also says that the right, they have the right not to be denied access to the courts and not to be unjustifiably disciplined and to, be, to terminate membership of a union. So it defines not just the right to strike, but also how the trade union functions in the UK. Now, as you can see, there's a big difference between if you're a European citizen and if you're a UK citizen. For instance, in France, we have the right to strike in the Constitution since the 27th of October 1946, which might explain why it is such an important part of French um, society and uh, France's institutions. Le droit de grève s'exerce dans le cadre des lois qui le règlement. So the right to strike can be operated in as long as it follows the framework of the law. And this right to strike also is part of the Charter for Fundamental Rights of the U European Union since December 2000, Article 28. So in Europe, you can strike. In the UK, you can be part of a trade union, but your right to strike doesn't really exist in the same way. So you do not have the right to strike in the, in, the, in the UK as such, and I'll explain it more later on. It's not uncommon. Many countries have banned the right to strike and many dictatorships do not allow striking. In, in France, for instance, if you are a CRS, a CRS, which is um, the, the protest police, you do, you're not allowed to strike. If you are a magistrate and you work at court, you're not, not allowed to, to strike. If you're a police officer, you're not allowed to strike. And if you work for air traffic control or TV or radio, which is state-owned, you have a minimum service that is compulsory. So as you see, there's some sectors and some workers who are not allowed to strike, even in France. Now, striking is not something you do on your own, on a whim. Striking is always a collective act. It's a community effort. And in order to strike, you have to have a very clear list of demands, but they have to relate your workplace conditions or your pay. You can't declare that you're striking 
for other reasons than workplace conditions. And striking technically means that you're not working. You withdraw from work and you withdraw your work. So this is pretty clear. Now, we have described the origins of the word striking. We have talked about the first recorded strikes in history, which happened in ancient Egypt more than 4,000 years ago. I also described the first French recorded strikes, which started in the University of La Sorbonne in 1229. And I also showed how it had a massive impact on the world of universities in Europe, not just in France. So there's a lot more to say about striking in education. But first, let's listen to the news. We'll be back straight after. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out! Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading! This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Cambrian News reports on Sport Wales' survey of school sport and its findings from 2022. The results showed that 39% of pupils took part in organised sport outside of the curriculum, a decrease of 9% since 2018 with a further 36% of pupils reporting no frequent participation in an organised sport outside of the curriculum, an increase of 8%, making the nation less active than in 2018. The report also highlights issues with schools having appropriate equipment to make sport provision more inclusive, as well as concerns around a growing wealth divide. There is a 15% difference in participation in organised sport outside of the curriculum, between the least and most deprived areas. The gap has increased since 2018. Football remains the most popular sport participated in at a community setting. In schools, there has also been a decline in the number of minutes of curriculum PE per week, with primary schools providing an average of 93 minutes, down from 99 minutes in 2018, and secondary schools providing around 93 minutes, down from 95 in 2018. The decrease in wider participation is attributed to the pandemic, but funding, adequate training and reliance on volunteers also has an impact. Full details of the survey can be found on the Sport Wales website. The impact a teacher can have on the lives of students has been a topic across radio and television media outlets after the Princess of Wales was pictured hugging her former history teacher. The pair met up after a 25-year gap during a visit to the National Maritime Museum in Cornwall, with the princess reportedly telling her old teacher, the things you taught me, I now teach to my children. Former teacher Mr Embry described the princess as exuberant and just like she was. He also referred to her as conscientious and considerate while she was a student. The pleasure at seeing her former teacher and the time spent chatting were captured in many photographs and resulted in plenty of further discussion on teachers who were remembered fondly for playing a role in the lives of their pupils. 
Strikes, teacher pain, conditions and previous comments made by Education Secretary Gillian Keegan continue to dominate the news. ITV News reports that Ms Keegan has defended her claim that teachers are among the best off financially, when you consider the whole package. She told ITV News that benefits outside of the basic salary made it hard to compare their jobs with those in the private sector. In the interview, Ms Keegan made comments about possible plans to toughen up the law to force teachers to inform school leaders if they plan to strike and insisted that she would not budge from her position of rejecting above-inflation pay rises. Ms Keegan also talked of plans to change the university application system UCAS to include apprenticeships alongside traditional degrees and to promote different career paths. The interview was part of a two-day visit to the North West with ITV having exclusive access to Ms Keegan. Full details of the story and more of the Education Secretary's views on strikes, pay and the views she has on education can be found on the ITV News website. The United Nations appears to have weighed into the debate on religious schools in Ireland. On the National Secular Society website, the group suggests that the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child, UNCRC, has urged the Republic of Ireland to guarantee the right of all children to practice freely their religion or belief by no longer allowing exemptions to ensure a child's right to education on religious or ethos grounds. Most primary schools in Ireland are run by churches and 90% are Catholic schools. Over half of secondary schools are linked to a particular religious denomination, although there are 150 multi-denominational schools in the country. The UNCRC also called on Ireland to strengthen measures to eliminate discrimination against LGBTQ children, as well as children of minority faith or non-faith backgrounds. The issue has raised its head again after reports by the Irish Department for Education were submitted to the UNCRC to highlight progress following previous recommendations. Finally, BBC News features a long read article about the BAFTA-nominated film Blue Jean and the lesbian teachers who inspired it. The plot follows a lesbian PE teacher in the late 1980s, at a time when a controversial law banned the promotion of homosexuality via Section 28. The legislation was in force until 2000 in Scotland and 2003 in England and Wales. The film was released on the 10th of February. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm taking a look at the AI-powered all-new Microsoft Bing search. Are we soon to be saying Bing it instead of Google it? There's only one way to decide. Let's have a search engine scrap. First, to use Bing, it's recommended you have the Edge browser installed. However, you can just go to bing.com. To get the full experience, I'm signing into my Microsoft account on bing.com in the Edge browser and signing into my Google account on google.co.uk in Chrome. Putting both interfaces side by side, they look the same, only Google has no distractions. Today, that is, as sometimes there's a Google doodle to celebrate something. Bing has a block of top news stories, and you can scroll down to see more headlines and ads. This, I feel, is a negative for Bing, as it's really easy to be distracted. Click something that catches your eye, and searching turns to procrastinating. Other slight differences are Bing search results when clicked, opening a new tab, Google's don't. This is not a problem on your computer, but tabs are different on your phone, and it could be a little annoying having to close them if you 
doing an extensive search. On the flip side, it could be useful if comparing prices, etc. The decision is for you to make. I know what you're thinking. Test the AI, Steve. Okay, I'm on it. As Bing now wants to chat with me, I type, I'm having a barbecue for five people. What should I cook? In Google, I simply type, barbecue five people. The results differ. Bing gives me 165 million results, top being planning a large barbecue cookout for a crowd. It was a decent read and ranged from cooking for 60 to 100 people to five to six. I'm now quite hungry. Google gave me a string of barbecues to buy, adverts, and then the first result was on the barbecue calculator. This was right up my geek street and I think Google won this round. You put the number of people in and then put the number of kids in and select some other options and it tells you what you need to buy to have a barbecue for that many people. Genius. Omni was third down in the Bing search. Only very slightly is Google winning at the moment. I like that Bing didn't hit me with ads straight away. I thought Google suggested searches, the people also asked bit, was neater and easier to scan than Bing's. Bing's was a bit wordy. With Google slightly in the lead, Let's do my last test. I'm gonna introduce some vegans. Now on my search in Bing, I type, I'm having a barbecue for five people, two are vegan, what should I cook? In Google, I simply type, barbecue, five people, two vegan. Bing brings me 176 million results and Google a mere 109 million. Both show pretty much exact results, apart from the advertising from Google. Same top sites and no sign of meat anywhere. I'm inundated with vegan recipes for barbecue. Scrolling down, AI wins. The sixth result on Bing is 20 tips for hosting a vegan guest to dinner. By the time I get to page four of Google's results, I've given up. To draw a conclusion, it's down to personal preference. Bing uses the same search algorithms and the AI is new, so it's still learning. The question is really, what will it be like in the future when it's had time to learn more? Don't forget to tell us what you would do if a vegan was coming to your barbecue. Get in touch at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you for listening to the news and the Two Minute Tech, dear listeners. So we are back talking about striking in education. Now, let's focus on what's going on in the United Kingdom. What is the striking landscape in the UK? And is it striking? Well, how many people belong to a trade union first? And what is a trade union? Trade unions are organisations which help workers to negotiate and deal with their employers. These trade unions, unions often help employees to ask for more pay or for better working conditions. They also represent members who have problems at work and give them legal advice if necessary. If negotiations don't work, a trade union's member might also come to the school and support um, other workers. They also organize strikes. How many people are in trade unions in the United Kingdom? Well, one in four UK workers, which means 23% of UK workers, were union members in 2021, which accounts for 6.4 million people, according to government statistics. So one in four, we're far from a majority, but still, quite a big chunk of the working age people are in a union. Now, if we look at the number of working days that have been lost per year, so the working days that have been lost due to strike, striking is much lower 
now in our generations than it used to be. As I said earlier, we have statistics and numbers collected since 1891. And if we look at a graph of working days lost over time, we have some eras, the 1890s, the 1910s, the 1930s, 1950s, the 1970s, and then the 1990s to now. If we look at the average working days lost over a 20-year period in million, millions of working days, the, the, the biggest years were definitely the 1890s and the 1910s. At this time, in these eras, people were striking a lot and they were obviously fighting for very important causes such as child labor, working conditions, reducing the amount of working hours, safety at work, and also better pay. And let's be honest, their striking changed the working conditions of millions of people. So we have to thank these people who lost money by striking. Now, in the 1970s, we had more than 5 million working days lost of, for striking. And if we look at in the 1990s until now, we had less than a million working days lost. So a massive decline in striking in the UK over the last 130 years. If you look at the graph, it's drastic. There was more than 20 million working days lost in the 1910s and less than 1 million in the 1990s till the 2016. So general decline in striking. In 2011, numbers of members of the TUC affiliated unions were half as many as at, at their peak in the 1980s. So less and less people are part of the union since the 1980s. Half of them, half less. Why? Well, maybe there is a less of a need to strike. Remember, the people who did strikes in the 1890s and the 1910s, they got us all the things we needed. They got us sick pay. They got us paid leaves. They got us better working conditions. And they got us safe working practices. So we have less reasons to fight if we have more legal protections. We also benefited from more working regulations. Working conditions have massively improved and are more regulated. For instance, there was an EU-led initiative of a maximum of 48 hours per working week. And employers can opt in and out of it. And it's part of the health and safety legislation of the 1999. So we have better protection, so we, we have less reason to strike. The top three industries for striking in 2016 in the UK were education, health and social care, and transport. Now, if you look at these three fields, they are absolutely essential sectors for an economy and for a society. With the collapse of education, healthcare, and transport, you get a society that is non-functioning, like in some unfortunate countries. 
we need a good quality education, a good quality healthcare, and we need transport to allow society to thrive economically and socially. So, why are these three industries striking then? Even though we have less strikes than in the old days, we still have these three major sectors striking. Well, we have had a bit more striking lately, since 2011, and now we are in the middle of a big push in strikes. Why? Well, there might, there might be some very obvious reasons. First, we have had an economic crisis in 2008 due to the subprime crisis in America. This is still impacting us. It has impacted our banking sector and it has a ripple effect that we're starting to feel. The last national teacher strike happened in 1987. So not many people have done this strike and are still in employment now. So from 1987 to 2023, there has been some strikes, but not as big and not on a national level, like in February 2023. So how does it work when you decide to go on strike in the UK? Well, I remind you, the law says that striking employees are permitted to do a picket line as long as it's peaceful. And it is possible to start the picket line near your place of work. This is only in order to give peaceful inform information and communicate with the people who are affected by the strike, which means you can have a picket line in front of your school. If it's just to explain to parents and students or anyone who walks past why the school is having a strike at that date. It has to be peaceful, obviously. As we cleared out earlier, Unlike in France and in the EU, there is no right to strike in the UK. The only thing you have is a protection from prosecution. So, but very recently, the law has been changed. Until 2022 in July, the 21st, so last summer, you could not hire employment agency workers to step in when your workforce is striking. This is now allowed. It used to be a criminal offence to hire employment agency workers. It is not anymore. So this new regulation came into force in order to reduce the impact that strikes have on a business. An employer can now hire agency workers to fill the gaps. As I said earlier, there is no right to strike, but employees who decide to go on a strike are protected. They cannot be dismissed. They cannot lose their job because they take part in an official industrial action, but it has to be official. This means that to be recognized as an official industrial action, you have to be a member of a union. You cannot join a strike if you're not unionized. You need to pay a subscription and belong to a trade union. And your trade union has to make sure they follow each of the steps to make it official. So they have to do a ballot. They have to ask all the union members if they want to do a strike. 
and they have to reach a majority to be able to say it's an official industrial action. These rules are very clear and they are set in the legislation. Now, we have different trade unions for people who work in schools. The biggest one in number is the National Education Union, short for NEU. I mean, NEU is the acronym. So the NEU welcomes anyone who works in education, whether you're a teacher, a lecturer at university, whether you work in the sixth form at college, or whether you're a support staff or a leader. As long as you work in a maintained or independent school and colleges in the UK, you can be part of the NEU. It's the most vast and diverse of the trade unions. The other trade unions are the National Association of Schoolmasters, short, the short, the acronym is NASUWT. Obviously, they are for people who have SLT profiles, so senior leadership management and teachers. They do not take support staff. Then you have the National Association of Head Teachers, NAHT, which is obviously only for head teachers. So you can't belong to it if you're just a teacher or if you are a member of SLT. You have to be a head teacher. Then you have the Association of School and College Leaders, ASCL. They welcome anyone who works in a school, college, but it had or primary school or a multi-academy trust, but it has someone who is a leader. So I looked at their website and I couldn't really get a straight answer as to what a leader means in their eyes, but I guess it's someone who is more than a classroom teacher and has more responsibilities in the school hierarchy. So the, as long if you want to belong to the ASCL, you need to be an executive head teacher, CEO of a multi-academy trust, a principal, a head teacher, a head of school, a, a deputy head or a vice principal, an assistant head, a school business manager, a finance director, or a colleague with a strategic whole school responsibility. So they do not take teachers, support staff, and um, lecturers. So obviously, the NEU is the one that is the most inclusive because it offers anyone who is a leader and a support staff and a lecturer and a teacher to join. Now, the NEU is the one who had a strike on the 1st of February 2023. So what is the NEU, National Education Union? Well, the NEU is a trade union that it was formed by two different unions. It's the amalgamation of the National Union of Teachers and the Association of Teachers and Lecturers. Their union started in 2017, which is why the NEU still has two leaders, the leaders of these two different institutions. They did a joint leadership and it's going to come to an end this year in 2023. Because they united, in 2017, they have now the biggest membership with 510,000 members and apparently it went up in a run-up to the strike on the 1st of February. It is the largest education union in the UK and in Europe. 
So this recent marriage between two unions came in order to make a bigger membership and have a bigger representation, which makes sense. So Kevin Courtney and Mary Boosted are the two general secretaries and they are joint secretaries until a single general secretary is elected very soon. So the NUT, formerly National Union of Teachers, was established a long time ago at King's College University in London on the 25th of June, 1870. So you can see it was just when the union started having that massive impact during the Industrial Revolution, and there was a lot of striking at the time. Again, not unlike the 13th century French first grève or protest, it started in a university. The ATL, which was the other part of the end before it became the NEU, was the Association of Assistant Mistresses, and it goes back to 1800, 1884, my apologies, when 180 women met and created it. So we had a branch that was not so welcoming of women, the NUT, and then the ATL, which was for female workers in education, and they united. NEU members voted overwhelmingly for strike action in their most recent ballot. 90% of the voters voted to stop work, withdraw their work on the 1st of February 2023. This is a huge turnout. It was 90% of the voters who voted, of the NEU members who voted in England, and 98% of the NEU members who voted in Wales. So increasing and very, very big turnout. So in case you don't know why, let's see why the NEU organized a strike. Well, it's simple. They organized a strike for pay condition, which is usually the big issue, all the way back to Ramses III time, remember, the workers in the pyramids complained that they felt they hadn't been paid for two or three years at the time when they were building the pyramid. Well, any of your workers believed that they haven't been paid related to the rise of inflation. So inflation is the when the products become more expensive over the years. Pay for experienced teachers has been described as falling by one-fifth in real terms since 2010. 2010 is quite a striking date for me, excuse the pun, but it is when David Cameron became Prime Minister and when the Tories took power in Downing Street. So since 2010, experienced teachers' pay has not increased and in real term, if you account for inflation, it has decreased. So this affects the living conditions of teachers. And we all know very well that energy bills have increased since the start of the war in Ukraine last February 2022. So energy bills are soaring. Inflation is at 12% uh, in August 2022, which is a 40-year high. So we are hit on many, many aspects financially. And the government was only suggested a very small pay increase for the teachers. 
which in real terms, if you take into account the prices going up, is a pay cut. So teachers, members of the NEU said, we have enough, we have long hours, we have poor pay and rising costs. So we want to have a better pay, but not only teacher pay, also we want better budgets for schools to spend on students. We want more money to pay for more support staff and we want more money to buy, um, as a joke, we say glue sticks, but what NEU members mean is resources for teaching the students and also making sure the buildings we teach the students in are well repaired and well maintained. So it's about money, yes, but not just pay, but also budgets for schools. Obviously, this is not something that many people are aware of, but can senior leadership team strike? Can someone who has very, very important responsibilities in the school structure join the strike? Well, yes, of course they can, if they are any EU members. If they were members of any of the other trade unions I mentioned earlier, these didn't vote enough to reach a majority, so their, their balloting didn't go through. So unless you're an NEU member, you can't. But if you are a senior leadership and you are an NEU member, you can strike legally. Can supply teachers strike? Well, no. Supply teachers, because now they are hired via an agency, they are not allowed to strike. You can only strike if you're an NEU member and you're employed by your school on a full-time basis as a cover teacher. But if you're employed by an agency, you cannot strike. And now you can be hired by a school if they need your services on a strike day since July 2022. Can trainee teachers strike? Well, yes, they can if they are trainee teachers on the school direct or teach first programs and they are NEU members. So if they're on the salaried route of the school program, they can strike. Can student teachers strike if they are NEU members? No, you cannot strike if you're not salaried. If you don't receive wages, you can't withdraw your work for wages because you're not employed employed. So you cannot be balloted and you cannot strike. What you can do is join a picket line and attend a protest in the street. That's fine. But you can't strike if you're not an employee, which makes sense because we're talking about pay of employees. Now, the question I've seen a lot on Twitter and the question that was asked when we had meetings at my school is, do teachers have to provide homework or work for the students when they are striking? And the answer is obviously not. You do not have to provide work because you are withdrawing your work. The whole point of a strike is to stop working, to show that you are committed and that you are collectively organized to push for a resolution of a problem about pay. So no, you shouldn't give work you shouldn't provide work and you shouldn't work on a strike day if you're striking. And your head teacher should not ask you to do so. 
Now, you might ask, what is the point of striking? Because we know there's no magic money tree. And I would say, yes, of course, you're right. There is no magic money tree. However, the UNICEF average for spending on education in high income country survey shows that we need 5% of the GDP growth uh, product. We used to be above average in the UK, but the government made a political choice in 2010, David Cameron's government, and they reduced the spending on education from more than 5% to 4.2% of the GDP. So that was a political choice. Now, obviously, we need to pay nurses, firemen, um, rail uh, workers more to be able to, and public sector staff, to be able to um, palliate the negative effects of high inflation. So can we give money to all these people? Can the public purse afford it? Well, you will be told very often that, no, it is impossible. There's no money for that. However, we believe that through taxation, we can find money. For instance, if the government was to equalize the tax, rate, tax rates on unearned income, that is share dividends or property tax, for instance, or land tax, we could uh, level it with the earned income, that is your wages, and it would bring more than 14 billion pounds. So more than enough to pay for pay rises for the public sector workers. When there's a will, there's a way. There is no magic money tree, but there is a great tool for governments and it's taxation. And by making choices on who you tax and how much, you can get more money to help with public sector pay. Now, can disciplinary action be taken against staff if they go on strike? Well, no, it's illegal. Sadly, it might happen in devious ways, but it is illegal. Is striking dangerous? Because I think there's a real fear. And um, I know so some members of SLT have voiced these fears. I'm not going to be able to strike because I'm a member of SLT, senior Manership, senior Manership Manager manager leadership and I'm afraid for my job well it would be illegal to um, fire someone because they were part of the picket line no staff in the workplace should experience threats or pressure from any leaders in order to discourage them from striking and I would go as far as saying school leaders should encourage the strike because it would bring it would eventually bring more budget and more money to make their schools function better. So it is in their interest to promote strike action in order to increase the school budget. Now, the question we all are asking is, are strikes effective? Well, it depends what you expect them to do. Do you expect the government to follow the recommendations from the trade unions? Maybe not. Do you expect the strike to raise awareness? Surely. And do you expect strikes to strike an example? Well, that's definitely our hope. So, analysis points that 
there's always a conflict benefits. Some people are going to be paid less and it's going to affect them even more because we have a lot of energy costs at the moment. But Emma Sarah Hughes, who is a PhD candidate in employment relations at Bangor University, and Tony Dundon, professor uh, of employment relations at the University of Manchester, did a study published in an article on the conversation. And in that study, entitled New Styles of Strike and Protest Are Emerging in the UK, they asked striking lecturers at university what the striking did to them on a short, mid-term and long-term. And apparently, after the analysis was published, Emma Sarah Hughes and Tony Dundon talked to the striking lecturers and they reported that it lowered their stress levels to take part into striking. So it means that they felt that there was a community spirit, they felt part of a team, they felt they had common goals and it gave them more energy and an enjoyment of the solidarity that came from protesting. So being out in the street, canvassing, making sure people understood why you're striking, created links, community links, and it also supported their creativity. Being in open disagreement with the institution they work for made them more creative and incited productive outcomes. And I find that fascinating. Yes, you'll get a little bit less money at the end of the month because you were part of an international day of striking, but you will feel better and well-being is a huge issue amongst the teaching population. Striking makes you more creative. I mean, just look at the slogans. Some were really amazing. And also, it makes you feel empowered. You feel like you have a voice, even though some of you might have lost your voice while shouting in the streets at, at, during the protest, but you might feel like your voice was heard. The media published a lot of articles, pictures were taken. I personally was interviewed when I was protesting in Angel, um, at Angel Tube Station, and it was energizing to be out in the street on the 1st of February 2023. So there is some positive outcome. Now, what does striking provide education workers? Well, striking has been very useful over decades. I'm not going to go into explaining why striking for um, the right to vote helped women get the right to vote. We know that. Protesting is the actual term I should have used because they were not employed, but protesting brings social change. There is no social change happening without protest in the street. We got the rights to vote for black African-American because they protested in the street. They wouldn't have gotten it just by asking. So strike works in the sense that you got equal pay, maternity leave, parental leave, sick pay, free lunchtime with no duties, time to prepare your lessons, PPA, and you do not have an obligation, a legal obligation to cover for your absent colleagues because 
colleagues of yours over the years organized themselves, were part of a trade union, and went on strikes when needed. So, the working conditions we have now depend on the strike action done in the past, and we should be thankful and we should recognize the effects of striking, the effect it has on our working conditions. This is something to acknowledge. Now, we also have just explained how striking provided a sense of community, made teachers feel like they were part of a group, connected, and it also, if you're engaged in trade unions, you have a deeper knowledge of legal working rights. You understand better how a school functions and how it can also be dysfunctional and what to do if it's dysfunctional and if you work in a toxic environment. Having been involved in trade union brings political education and awareness. This is what makes a good citizen. A good citizen is not just someone who works and pays taxes. A good citizen is someone who is involved in the res publica, the functioning of society, the functioning of the government, and how we interact as social beings. So being part of a trade union is essential. And I would even go as far as to argue that any worker, whether it's in public sector or private sector, should have a moral obligation to be part of a trade union, to fight for the rights of other workers, past and future, but also to recognize that we wouldn't have paid holidays and sick pay and maternity leave and the NHS if we hadn't been involved in social change and pushing for social change over the years. You might argue that I'm very biased being a French citizen. I am entitled to the rights to protest in France. It's in the constitution since 1947, and it's also in the EU chart of human rights. And I'm very thankful that it is. Now, because I'm living in the UK, I also wish for any UK worker to have a right to strike enshrined. And I'm hoping that it will happen one day. This is this might be another issue with Brexit, isn't it? That because UK workers are no longer part of the EU, their right to protest has been taken away from them. And I think it's really sad. But what I witnessed on the 1st of February 2023, when I was protesting in the streets of London, is that people can unite and protest peacefully and share their feelings. And it is more than a right, it is a duty, isn't it? I'm going to just let you listen to the news and we'll get back after. Thank you. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Katz Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
Cambrian News reports on Sport Wales' survey of school sport and its findings from 2022. The results showed that 39% of pupils took part in organised sport outside of the curriculum, a decrease of 9% since 2018, with a further 36% of pupils reporting no frequent participation in an organised sport outside of the curriculum, an increase of 8%, making the nation less active than in 2018. The report also highlights issues with schools having appropriate equipment to make sport provision more inclusive, as well as concerns around a growing wealth divide. There is a 15% difference in participation in organised sport outside of the curriculum between the least and most deprived areas. The gap has increased since 2018. Football remains the most popular sport participated in at a community setting. In schools, there has also been a decline in the number of minutes of curriculum PE per week, with primary schools providing an average of 93 minutes, down from 99 minutes in 2018, and secondary schools providing around 93 minutes, down from 95 in 2018. The decrease in wider participation is attributed to the pandemic, but funding, adequate training and reliance on volunteers also has an impact. Full details of the survey can be found on the Sport Wales website. The impact a teacher can have on the lives of students has been a topic across radio and television media outlets after the Princess of Wales was pictured hugging her former history teacher. The pair met up after a 25-year gap during a visit to the National Maritime Museum in Cornwall, with the Princess reportedly telling her old teacher, the things you taught me I now teach to my children. Former teacher Mr Embry described the princess as exuberant and just like she was. He also referred to her as conscientious and considerate while she was a student. The pleasure at seeing her former teacher and the time spent chatting were captured in many photographs and resulted in plenty of further discussion on teachers who were remembered fondly for playing a role in the lives of their pupils. Strikes, teacher pain, conditions and previous comments made by Education Secretary Gillian Keegan continue to dominate the news. ITV News reports that Ms Keegan has defended her claim that teachers are among the best off financially, when you consider the whole package. She told ITV News that benefits outside of the basic salary made it hard to compare their jobs with those in the private sector. In the interview, Ms Keegan made comments about possible plans to toughen up the law to force teachers to inform school leaders if they plan to strike and insisted that she would not budge from her position of rejecting above inflation pay rises. Ms Keegan also talked of plans to change the university application system UCAS to include apprenticeships alongside traditional degrees and to promote different career paths. The interview was part of a two-day visit to the North West with ITV having exclusive access to Ms Keegan. Full details of the story and more of the Education Secretary's views on strikes, pay and the views she has on education can be found on the ITV News website. The United Nations appears to have weighed into the debate on religious schools in Ireland. On the National Secular Society website, the group suggests that the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child, UNCRC, has urged the Republic of Ireland to guarantee the right of all children to practice freely their religion or belief by no longer allowing exemptions to ensure a child's right to education on religious or ethos grounds. Most primary schools in Ireland are run by churches and 90% are Catholic schools. Over half of secondary schools are linked to a particular religious denomination, 
although there are 150 multi-denominational schools in the country. The UNCRC also called on Ireland to strengthen measures to eliminate discrimination against LGBTQ children, as well as children of minority faith or non-faith backgrounds. The issue has raised its head again after reports by the Irish Department for Education were submitted to the UNCRC to highlight progress following previous recommendations. Finally, BBC News features a long read article about the BAFTA-nominated film Blue Jean and the lesbian teachers who inspired it. The plot follows a lesbian PE teacher in the late 1980s, at a time when a controversial law banned the promotion of homosexuality via Section 28. The legislation was in force until 2000 in Scotland and 2003 in England and Wales. The film was released on the 10th of February. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm taking a look at the AI-powered all-new Microsoft Bing search. Are we soon to be saying Bing it instead of Google it? There's only one way to decide. Let's have a search engine scrap. First, to use Bing, it's recommended you have the Edge browser installed. However, you can just go to bing.com. To get the full experience, I'm signing into my Microsoft account on bing.com in the Edge browser and signing into my Google account on google.co.uk in Chrome. Putting both interfaces side by side, they look the same, only Google has no distractions. Today, that is, as sometimes there's a Google doodle to celebrate something. Bing has a block of top news stories, and you can scroll down to see more headlines and ads. This, I feel, is a negative for Bing, as it's really easy to be distracted. Click something that catches your eye, and searching turns to procrastinating. Other slight differences are Bing search results when clicked, open in a new tab, Google's don't. This is not a problem on your computer, but tabs are different on your phone, and it could be a little annoying having to close them if you doing an extensive search. On the flip side, it could be useful if comparing prices, etc. The decision is for you to make. I know what you're thinking. Test the AI, Steve. Okay, I'm on it. As Bing now wants to chat with me, I type, I'm having a barbecue for five people. What should I cook? In Google, I simply type, barbecue five people. The results differ. Bing gives me 165 million results, top being planning a large barbecue cookout for a crowd. It was a decent read and ranged from cooking for 60 to 100 people to five to six. I'm now quite hungry. Google gave me a string of barbecues to buy, adverts, and then the first result was on the barbecue calculator. This was right up my geek street and I think Google won this round. You put the number of people in and then put the number of kids in and select some other options and it tells you what you need to buy to have a barbecue for that many people. Genius. Omni was third down in the Bing search. Only very slightly is Google winning at the moment. I like that Bing didn't hit me with ads straight away. I thought Google suggested searches, the people also asked bit, was neater and easier to scan than Bing's. Bing's was a bit wordy. With Google slightly in the lead, Let's do my last test. I'm going to introduce some vegans. Now on my search in Bing, I type, I'm having a barbecue for five people. Two are vegan. What should I cook? In Google, I simply type, barbecue, five people, two vegan. Bing brings me 176 million results and Google a mere 109 million. Both show pretty much exact results, apart from the advertising from Google. Same top sites and no sign of meat anywhere. I'm inundated with vegan recipes for barbecue. Scrolling down, AI wins. The sixth result on Bing is 20 tips for hosting a vegan guest to dinner. By the time I get to page four of Google's results, I've given up. To draw a conclusion, it's down to personal preference. Bing uses the same search algorithms and the AI is new, so it's still learning. The question is really, what will it be like in the future when it's had time to learn more? 
Don't forget to tell us what you would do if a vegan was coming to your barbecue. Get in touch at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you for listening to the news, dear listeners. So to summarise today's topic, striking in education, how did the 1st of February 2023 National Day of Striking for Educators go? Well, it seemed like uh, the follow-up was really good. There was hundreds of people in the streets all over the UK. We got a lot of positive feedback in the media Um, We had some brilliant slogans, obviously, I was not expecting less. And most parents were pretty much supportive, even on social media. So what's next? Well, there is a follow-up strike in March 2023. You might have heard of it. What can you do to help education if you want schools to have bigger budgets or to have access to more resources? on a national basis. Well, keep voting and vote with intentions to support schools and school staff and students. You can send a letter to your MP to remind them that you are supporting every workers to have good working conditions and good pay. You can join a union yourself if you are not a union member. There's many unions you can choose from. And if you can't afford um, union membership, you can still support your colleagues, build a strong community and um, encourage everybody to learn more about the history and shape our future better. So I wish you a lovely week for those who are on holiday. Have a restful week for those who are not on holiday. Keep your strength up and have a lovely evening, dear listeners. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.